hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Answer Show! Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 370 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor, coming to you right now from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity. Comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. All right, if not okay, that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show might as well be called Stupid Exercise, but it's really smart exercise. Survivor Fit Club is a group designed to help survivors of illness, disease, and trauma to not only get their bodies and minds back in shape, but to get busy living, joining us is the founder of Survivor Fit Club, personal trainer and breast cancer survivor, Holly Bryce, to discuss impact and importance of health and fitness and how to battle back from illness mentally and physically with our Survivor Spotlight on young adult endometrial cancer survivor, Megan Murray. Going to be a great show. Full house, full house, full house. Mr. Kenny. Uncle Jesse. Yes. What? <laughs> exactly. Hello, Mallory. Hello. Noel is waving without a mic. And Sean on the couch. Hello. You're, you're, yeah, wait. There you are. There we go. How you doing? Good. Good. We have to uh, single out uh, Jeanine Mortimer, her last day, her last show. Womp womp. And your last day, too? Last day is Thursday. Okay. As our epic uh, 2015 Q3, Q4 intern, do awesome. It's been good? It's been A nice great. run? Yeah. Yeah. Graduation staring me in the face. You filled all your 90 hours of whatever? I did, yeah. And then some or not enough? Today hit 90, yeah. Wow, I'm so sorry. Thursday's just for fun. Did we ruin you? <laughs> Are you broken? No. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to write a thesis about this, or what's your summary project for the semester? I already wrote it. What's it called? It was... Uh, How to like, work for a ginger. 
Well, I mean, how to launch a medium publication. Yeah, my final paper was actually writing about the the uh, organization as a whole and like the pros and cons of the organization. What's a con? I honestly, I had to ask Kenny what to put because <laughs> I the didn't best know. <laughs> if you need to know who what sucks, just ask Kenny. <laughs> the executive staff. Yes. <laughs> well, good for you. Thank you. And I have to say, the medium uh, platform that we have right now is, uh, is spectacular. Thank you. You very did much. a wonderful job. Thanks. And now we're going to be lost without you. Yep. Clearly. Going to fall apart. Yes. I'll help you out anytime. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, you're kind of stuck for life. You li- unless you move to like Alaska. Well, she might move I to might. Guam. <clears throat> Guam's off the list. Guam's Alaska off the list. is a maybe. <laughs> well, it's like a U.S. territory, right? Yeah. There's a military base there. Yeah, that's my All boyfriend's right. in the military. We're moving. Ah. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to be an army brat, but post childhood army brat. Yeah. Very nice. Good for you. Thanks. Well, there is this thing called the internet, so we could probably keep track of you. It's true. Unless you're in the military. <laughs> Not me. Him. Not you. Right. And uh, so, Mallory, it's been a week since CancerCon launched. It has. How are we doing? It's been a really exciting week. We have quite a few attendees. Uh, we're, we're in the 75 range right now, which is kind of exciting. Not bad for a week. Not bad for a week at all. So all good things and some exciting sessions. Still. Yeah, the sessions are shaping up really nicely. Yes. We actually we are going to have a session on today's topic. For the show at CancerCon, there's going to be an exercise session. Um, we also have a integrative nutrition session lined up as well. Really? Yes. I, the, the thing about integrative nutrition is the word integrated has to be in there as an adjective because it's not just yelling at people saying, you know, eat this, eat this. It's not all eat kale no. and quinoa. Can we? There's See, way Kenny, more than that. It's not just eating kale, Kenny. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you've had sweet green you might beg to differ yeah i guess so no sweet green not a sponsor we'd like you to be a sponsor sweet green who's not listening to the show but it doesn't matter and anyway, we have a wonderful drop-in guest who i uh i've known for quite a while now she's i would say from the breakfast club of the young adult cancer origin story susan mcclure uh were you editor-in-chief or founder of, of cure media what was your i was publisher you're the publisher of cure media so cure media uh, is a print publication that was launched, what, 04? 2002. That, wow, that long ago. Okay, 13 years ago. And they produced patient conferences, which inspired me. And they had a magazine which talked a lot about cancer. And it no- sort of normalized, in a sense, what a print publication could do during what I said, what, during like the Livestrong comeuppance that sort of gave a face and a voice to people that didn't die from cancer. Course, there were a lot of us, then everything was changing, it was really good. Um, but yeah, you rock star back then, rock star right now. What are you doing these days? Well, thanks. Look at you, Mr. Rockstar. I mean, I'm doing pretty well, but I have not had my face plastered on a ginormous marquee <laughs> in Times Square. Yeah, I gotta say, that was a special day. I haven't done that, but um, now I am the founder and publisher of another magazine, and we're also doing events. Uh, the magazine's called Genome and is all about how. Our health care treatment options are changing based on our own genetic blueprints. And that's the magic word, too. I mean, we, I, we were, most of us were at an event with, where Clinton spoke as the keynote speaker, and he said something really profound. His way of just simplifying the obvious in a great way, that the biggest change in medicine in the last decade was a shift from disease to genome. And that has so many incredibly challenging but aspirational you know um uh, ramifications 
in that sense. And you guys are, are hitting it head on. That's right. We are, we're talking about everything, uh, personalized medicine and the genomic revolution making it possible. So it's really poised to transform ourselves, our healths, ourselves, our health, and our future generations because we're, we're entering a time where people could actually start selecting embryos that don't carry specific genetic mutations, for example. Designer babies. Well, it's like, let's say I want breast cancer to stop with me. I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor, so I don't, want, I don't want my future children to be exposed to that. Right. I could actually go to a lab and select an embryo that does not carry a genetic mutation that I, I carry so that it could literally stop with me. Pretty controversial. I was going to say... There's have to be like a dissenting voice in this conversation <laughs> That's somewhere. Gene editing, and yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. It's got a lot of Plain promise, God. a yeah. lot of promise, but a lot of uh, barriers to overcome before that day is a reality. It's like we're taking the movie Gattaca, but making it real life. Right, right. Yeah, you get to selectively choose the sex, the hair color, the IQ. The, yeah, everything. Sports ability. I would choose none of that. <laughs> <laughs> no sports ability whatsoever. Rather have a larger brain, I guess. Yeah. That might be insult to sports people, but yeah. Walking around with a giant brain. Yeah, like Stewie from Family Guy. That's my child. <laughs> That's my kid. But again, it, it opens up so many conversations that what what who isn't on board with this? Like the FDA and payers and how do you get patient advocates to be your ambassadors because this seems like a civil liberty that we should know what our data is and right. who's going to pay for it and... How do you apply it? And, you know, we had an ethicist at our recent event and he said, what happens when you get to this point where people can select embryos and, and eradicate particular diseases? Um, but who decides which diseases should be eradicated? I mean, why wouldn't you want all of them eradicated? Well, maybe some deaf couples want a deaf baby or maybe somebody who's had a Down syndrome child in their family doesn't see Down syndrome as such a negative. And if you've got these people dis determining which embryos are, are viable and which ones aren't, and then you decide maybe you're not going to listen to any of that and you're going to go the natural route, right? You're just going to have sex the old-fashioned way, have your baby, and let God decide yes. what kind of baby you have. Then you have a baby with Down syndrome and the insurance company says, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. We gave you an option to not have this happen, right. so now we probably shouldn't pay for your child's care mm -hmm. modern medicine right but that's what we're staring down the barrel at in five ten years you think or even now oh, yeah i think i think the technology is already there it's it's now up to us as a society to put parameters around it well we're going to get to our first guest in a second but i'm going to be sure to ask them if they even have a familiarity with genetic screening and and their risk factors because we have some endometrial cancer which i know can happen if you have like Cowden syndrome, which is, you know, Cowden syndrome is this very rare, very uh, uh, almost like uh, obscure thing that's hard to detect, but you have like a 90% chance of getting endometrial cancer and ovarian cancer and anything because you have this precursor. Where are you entitled to know that you have this precursor if you didn't know your mom had it? So that's fascinating. All right, well, let's uh, let's kick off the show. Megan Murray coming up. Hailing from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Megan Murray, a hokey citizen of the world, international education graduate student and endometrial cancer survivor is joining us. Uh, please welcome 
I don't know what a hokey is, but I'm going to be educated. Megan Murray, welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. Hello, I'm so excited to be on the show. So you have to first tell me, what is a hokey? <laughs> so when you go to Virginia Tech Orientation, actually, when I'm asked that question, I'm told to say, I'm a hokey. Is but, that like uh, when you go to Michigan and you say, go blue? Uh, it comes from a school cheer, actually. They used to let kind of a gobbler turkey bird onto the field, and um, but the cheer was hokey, hokey, hokey high. So it's a long tradition that evolved. Well, congratulations on being a hokey, <laughs> I suppose. But uh, I'm, I'm, you know, we I think we met over was it Twitter or email or something, but I was fascinated by your story. And we are, again, I mentioned we have a special guest here. Um, her name is uh, Susan McClure. She runs a magazine called Genome, and it talks about genetic risk and, and genetic counseling and, and all the science behind that stuff. And, I, you know, you have a gene mutation, and it's just an interesting tie-in to everything we're talking about in the future of science. Right. There's so much research going on in that area. So you're 25, you graduated, um, and uh, you took a year off from school to move home with your parents. Was that because of the diagnosis or because you were a grad student? Yes, yes. I, I did the first semester of my grad program, and then I was diagnosed. So given Pittsburgh's many hospitals and the great medical field here, I decided to just move home with my parents. So what did you study again? I'm working on a master's in international education. Uh, in the future, I would like to work at a university with international students coming in and their visas, cultural orientation to the U.S. So tell us about this diagnosis, because we, I, for what it's worth, like you could have done better. Come on, endometrial, that's not a sexy cancer. You should have gotten breast cancer. <laughs> I don't know about those insectomies, but... Yeah, so last fall I noticed my hair was starting to fall out and a friend who had had similar symptoms that turned out to be anemia. So when I was home at Thanksgiving, I got a physical and a blood test. I tested as anemic with that and so through some other discussions with my gynecologist, I had a DNC done in early February and the gynecologist then took out what we just she thought was a polyp, and it turned out to be a malignant tumor. Tumor. So, you were just a regular twenty-something living your life and going about it, and then all of a sudden, bam! This came out of nowhere. Right, right. I mean, I was in grad school in Vermont for the fall, and I had just gotten back from a class in Costa Rica. Actually, I was planning on going back to school a few days after the DNC. So I'm reading here you had your thyroid removed as well. What was the rationale for that? Right. So a part of, another risk of the mutation is uh, thyroid cancer. So when they were doing my workup, they saw that I had a growth on my thyroid. And, you know, initially my oncologist didn't think anything of it. But when the genetics part came out, I went to see an endocrinologist. And they did a biopsy. It came back as inconclusive. So... Just given my genetic risk, I talked with a doctor and we decided to do the thyroidectomy. It turned out to be benign, which is definitely something to be thankful for. Hey, this is Susan McClure with Genome Magazine. It's nice meeting you, and what a great story you have to tell. I mean, you could inspire so many people uh, 
through, you know, just your story. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Susan. So was genetic testing uh, introduced to you right away? Yes. When I went to see my oncologist that first visit and I was diagnosed, you know, given my age, she recommended that I go see a geneticist. And did you find that it ran in your family? Were any other family members tested? Um, so after we received my results back, the geneticist tested my parents and this doesn't run in my family. And I guess it's just something that can spontaneously happen sometimes by accident. And how receptive were your parents in regards to getting tested themselves? Because I, I know I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor, and my mother, I just had my genome sequenced, matter, as a matter of fact, and I, my mother was able to do it, too. I said, do you want to do this with me? My sister was getting it done, too, and I said, do you want to do this? And she said, absolutely not. And then she said, well, I'll do it, but I don't want to know my results. Oh, wow. Wow. No, my parents were definitely receptive to being tested. I think they were concerned concerned and wondering why my results came back as such. So they wanted to look into it for themselves. So my mom's an ostrich and your parents aren't. <laughs> <laughs> So we're, we talk about, you know, this, we're obviously, we're so glad you found Stupid Cancer and that you're part of, I mean, we say it's a club no one wants to join, but welcome for being here. Thank you. Were you um, told about any of the, um, the risks of treatment affecting your fertility? I was, again, at that first appointment, the doctor recommended that I go see a fertility specialist. I actually wasn't really interested in going, but I went to the appointment. I was really impressed that the doctor immediately, within two minutes of me being in his office, kind of asked where I was mentally with this whole thing. And I explained that, you know, due to some life experiences, I this idea of passing on my DNA to children, I just didn't identify with. I have people in my life that I don't share DNA with that I consider my sisters. So he gave me the information about, you know, saving my eggs and things, but I just decided that it wasn't important to me and adoption would be definitely a viable option for me in the future. Well, I have to say this is I mean, it's great news that you had almost this concierge level service. It's it's actually an outlier. It doesn't typically happen this way. So you got um, sort of the luck of the draw, having these amazing uh, medical providers and, and supportive folks, you know, working for you in this sense. That's really great news. Um, yeah, the staff at West Penn Hospital, where I've gone, has been phenomenal. So where are you now in your um, treatments, post-treatments, follow-up, checkups, screenings? So I finished with chemotherapy at the end of October. I have to get a follow-up CT scan at the beginning of January and then talk with my doctor. Hopefully everything's doing fine and I can go back to school in February. Well, that's good. That's fantastic. How have your uh, family, friend, you mentioned you have non-genetic sisters and brothers those are the best friends to have. Uh, how have they responded uh, to you? Have they been supportive? Did you find that some of them just couldn't deal? 
You know, my family's been very supportive. My, um, we're Catholic, and my family's generally very faithful. My parents have been great having me home again. My sister came home um, around my hysterectomy, and my aunt, who had worked as a nurse previously, has been fantastic uh, talking with doctors to really understand from a medical point of view what's going on and then helping to translate that to us. Well, that's wonderful. What do you do in your spare time? Do you write? Do you uh, blog? Do you keep uh, some kind of journal? Are you an artist? I kept a blog most of the year. Um, it's called hokeydumon.weebly.org. You can find it online. This year, since you know, I kind of came back to Pittsburgh, had to pick up new things to do that I wasn't expecting, I ended up working at a French bakery and taking Arabic lessons. Was that just a hobby, Arabic lessons? That seems like something you wouldn't normally... <laughs> it's a great idea. <laughs> I, I had started studying it a little bit at grad school, but it wasn't my primary focus. And so I thought... I have this time to really actually learn this. And then I think partially I also heard about chemo brain. And I thought maybe I can avoid that with having something like this. <laughs> right. Stimulate your brain and eliminate the chemo. Then no, that's great. Did you have uh, side effects? Did you lose your hair? I did lose my hair, but otherwise I would say my side effects were pretty minimal. About two to three days after a treatment, I would get really tired and I would just have to kind of lounge around home for a day or so. But with two nights or so of good 12 hours of sleep, I could usually be fine then. No, that's, again, that's, uh, we have this discussion on lots of shows about how a lot of chemotherapy does not make you lose your hair anymore. So you tend to not look as sick as you actually might be. And it can create, you know, challenges in life because we had a, a guest on the show either last week or two weeks ago who was really fatigued but didn't lose their hair, so they sat in the handicap seat on the bus, and they got yelled at for not looking handicapped. So, you know, it's, it, this is a modern example of progress, almost coming back to bite you in the ass. Did you try those crazy ice cap things that they say helps you keep your hair? So I'm not, I actually did lose my hair, um, but um, no, I mean, that's definitely something I want people to know that, you know, you don't, with going through chemotherapy, you don't go walk around looking really sick all the time, and it's very much something that you can live with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's amazing. So what about your, uh, did you have any caregivers at the time, uh, or were your parents involved, or who, who was it that you kind of turned to to say, I need help or a shoulder? Definitely my parents were my caregivers living, living at home with them, and they have been very kind and supportive of me on those more tired days. No, agreed. We do a lot of workshops on caregivers and, and what it means to either be a parent of a young adult with cancer or a sibling or a spouse or a best friend to a young adult with cancer. It's, it's kind of the, um, the role you never expected to have. Once they mm -hmm. kind of raised you and they were done and you're an adult, but they come back and, and do that. But kudos to your parents for being there for you. That, that's rock star status. Mm -hmm. So what's in store for you? Where are you? Uh, where do you see? You're gonna, you said you're going to go back to school next year. But what do you, it's the old question. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> right, right. So 
I was lucky right after treatment to get offered kind of a job more related to what I've been studying. I've been working with refugees at Catholic Charities, and it's been interesting to kind of see how my experiences of this year have transferred over to that. I was talking with a refugee from Africa a few weeks ago who told me he's really bored at home all day with nothing to do, and I I wanted to say to him, man, I really understand not having anything to do all day, but that's been a great experience coming out of immediately out of treatment and then going to go back to school, finish my classes, and hopefully work my way towards a job at a university. Well, that is incredibly aspirational and inspirational. I commend you on all of this. You are a shining example of why we exist as a support community and what being a young adult with cancer really means. I love that you, 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 you quoted us, our Get Busy Living mantra. How did you first find us, or were you even made aware that there were other women out there that weren't 80 who had cancer in Pittsburgh? I think um, someone I had worked with previously, she knew someone who had had endometrial cancer, and she sent me your information. I did attend one meeting for a young adult support group, but I also got a really, I got a lot out of attending a Look Good, Feel Better event for young women in their 20s, and it was great to be at an event that, the central discussion wasn't cancer, but I was also in an environment with people my age that I could say, I had a hysterectomy two weeks ago, and that wasn't a shocking statement. Yeah, there's nothing quite like being around people who get it that you don't have right. to explain things to, where I had a hysterectomy two weeks ago is normal conversation. Right, right. So once this cancer thing is behind you, is it something that you hope to never have to think about again, or is it something that you feel has changed you and your outlook and it's going to bring maybe different meaning to your life? Or, I mean, did you have that aha moment, that epiphany that, oh my gosh, as much as I want to put this behind me, it's probably always going to be a little part of my life? Or I don't think you can put it behind you. I, as I was saying in my new job right now, I've kind of seen how my experiences can serve to work in terms of advocacy with others. And I would, lo I don't want cancer and being a cancer survivor to become my life, but I definitely think it's important to continue to support events on, on occasion, especially for young adults with cancer. There needs to be more events and advocacy and awareness. Well, you've got friends for life here at Stupid Cancer, and I can't thank you enough for your bravery in coming on the show. It can often be a little intimidating, but we're very excited to uh, have Pittsburgh represented here on the podcast. <laughs> Great. So, yeah. So keep in touch. Good luck to you. And uh, thanks again so much for joining us. Megan Murray, young adult endometrial cancer survivor. Congratulations. Bye, Megan. Bye-bye. All right, Kenny. Let's uh, hit up the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. Just one happening before the end of the year. It's in Tomball, Texas. We had that last week, right? Tomball, Texas. Texas represent. Yeehaw. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. 
Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers just like you right now. Instapeer.org. We launch a news feed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer's expensive. Check out cancermademebroke.com. You heard right. Cancermademebroke.com. Our national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You did not ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit cancermademebroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. Holly Boyce is a wife, mom, personal trainer, health and fitness coach, and five-year breast cancer survivor. She's obsessed with helping people become the best versions of themselves possible. And uh, she's here to talk us through Survivor Fit Club. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Holly Boyce. Hello, Holly. Hey, how's it going? Welcome. Where are you calling us in from? I am in eastern Washington. Washington State, eastern Washington. Okay, that's like Idaho-ish, right? Yes, sort of. So when everybody thinks Washington, they think Seattle, and we're like, the polar opposite of that. We're, we're like wine country. Got it, got it. Yeah, because for me, everything west of Jersey is like Australia. <laughs> exactly. Here in New exactly. York. No, I, I'm really excited to have you on. I think we, we discovered each other on, on Twitter and uh, you know, obviously exercise and figuring out what role that can play when life gets destroyed and how to be reasonable about it and not you know, shoving things down people's throats. You've done a really good job at managing what that can be, and your story awesome. is emblematic of all of that. So I'd love you to take us back. We'd like to typically ask our guests, what was life like six months before you were diagnosed? Oh, geez. Six months before I was diagnosed um, with <coughs> cancer, so back in 2009, was I was actually a family service manager. <laughs> I, I managed... Um, a team of family service workers, and so I was doing um, youth and family outreach, and it was very, very um, draining. I had a five and two-year-old, uh, a five-year-old and a two-year-old son and daughter, and uh, just very draining work. Um, I'd come home really. It was tough. It's a it's a tough uh, career path. I definitely am glad that I did it. A lot of the skills from that uh, past life have come in handy in the new venture. But yeah, it was, it was a, it was a lot with my little kids, I think is why I kind of. Did you have uh, early symptoms or was this misdiagnosed or self-exam? How did this all come about? Literally nothing. I mean, like I had no, no sign, no symptom, no nothing. Um, I, it was Thanksgiving day actually uh, that year in 2009 and I um, was adjusting my shirt right before everybody was to come to my house to have this big Thanksgiving dinner. And um, I found like a ping pong ball sized uh, lump in 
it was like right under my skin. It was moving around. I'm like, what is this? I had just turned 30, um, like a couple months prior and, um, it was uh, a little scary, and so I had to wait, of course, the long Thanksgiving weekend. And then um, I, throughout the the, couple, the next few weeks, with all the different tests and stuff, as being young, there's a lot more tests they want to do, and so just go obviously throw you into the surgery room, which is what I wanted. I'm like, I don't care what it is, get it out, you know. And um, I just took after all that process, I took the first appointment that they had, which was December 22nd. Um, and I said, I just want it removed, and they were going to biopsy it at the time of removal. And so December 22nd, unfortunately, I guess, um, I picked that first appointment and woke up from surgery, like, to my husband and surgeon. It felt like I died. Like, they were looking at me with that, like, look I would imagine on, like, a Lifetime movie. Oh, boy. And uh, they were just kind of staring at me like, well, you know, I was kind of like, am I alive? Am I awake? And and then I just kind of heard the word cancer, and I don't remember a whole lot else about the day itself um, other than just the right before I went into surgery, I told him that I wanted um, a nice tummy tuck and a <laughs> nice lift, <laughs> Good for a you, lift on my breast while they were in there. So, And they, they didn't do that. But no. <laughs> no, probably I not. I tried. So did you have yeah, any so, inclination whatsoever with this lump that it was anything besides maybe just a cyst or was that just like a like a almost like a denial that this could be something worse or or were the people who you talked to before the surgery like this is probably nothing let's just get it out of you or yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um I I have no family history of cancer I have I mean nothing uh, it was honestly the farthest thing from my mind. I mean, I, of course, I'm a WebMD and Google junkie when it mm-hmm. comes to stuff like that. So I knew every possible thing it could be before I even went in there. But uh, it, I don't, it never really crossed my mind until afterwards. And even afterwards, I was like, well, I feel the same as I did the day before I found out. Right. Like, I literally felt exactly the same the day before, the day of diagnosis, and the day they told me I was you know, quote unquote cured. I mean, I felt the same all of those days minus some, you know, nausea and vomiting, I guess, but I didn't, I didn't really feel different. I never felt like a a sick person, I guess. I never had any kind of warning. I never, you know, I just wasn't, I definitely probably a denial and they were all telling me, well, you know, the, the odds are pretty low that it's anything, you know, like that. And I, I kind of felt the same, honestly. Right, and this this could set the stage where we're going to talk in a few minutes about nutrition and how you can be perfectly healthy with no signs or anything, and boom, this can happen to you. What, um, in terms of what, what what's you know the stage, or were there any genetic testing around this, or was it a, a BRCA thing or nothing? Yeah, so I was a stage two two uh, B. Um, but then when I got all my genetic testing done, it's all negative. Everything that they've tested me for, it's all negative. Um, there was kind of a weird, when I first, um, when I first woke up, they told me, uh, you know, I went to my follow-up appointment. They told me a little bit more information and the computer, I guess when they send a tumor, I, I guess they send that off somewhere and the computer kind of reads it and decides what all the factors are of the cancer 
and it said I was a triple negative. Well, then somebody reevaluated that a person, a human, and decided that they wanted to run that again, and it became um, estrogen positive, not negative. So I'm like, well, we got to do this again. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's too 50-50 for me. And they ran it again, and it was, still came up positive again. So it, it became estrogen positive, and everything else was negative. But it, um, so that was kind of a little bit of a, a hang up afterwards. And it was, it was, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you know as well. When when you have diagnoses like this, everybody's got their opinion on what you should and shouldn't be doing, and what you know, what treatment you should take and what right. you shouldn't, and alternate forms of, you know, medicine and oh, just the whole gamut and it's it's a, a lot of responsibility to take all those factors and just try to listen to everybody the best you can and make your best informed decision based on the information you have were you it's tough. were you treated at a, at a major cancer center or locally in your neighborhood or area um i was actually treated here locally where i live and yeah. were you happy with your care obviously you're, you're here and they talk to you about I, cool yeah. stuff I really was. I loved my um, my doctor, um, who's I think since retired. Um, I don't go back there very often, <laughs> but um, he was amazing and and rated the best oncologist. And I had the best surgeon. I, I just I knew a couple of doctors, and they kind of guided me to the right people. And so I felt really great. I never really had any um, massive you know, complications or anything crazy like that happening other than the fact that, you know, I had to go through chemo radiation and the whole nine yards, but I didn't really have any crazy complications, I guess. You know, we, we talk about young adult cancer as not being any better or worse than, than uh, older cancer, but it's certainly very yeah. different. And having a two-year-old and a five-year-old when you're diagnosed is kind of what makes us a little different how oh, man. were you able to explain? I mean, probably your two year old didn't know at this point or couldn't understand, but the five year old clearly has. My kids are five, so I get it. You know, they're totally yeah. aware when daddy's not feeling well. You know, how did you have that conversation? Um, you know, my definitely my two year old didn't really have much, and still, honestly, she's eight now and still doesn't have a whole lot of recollection other than she's seen pictures. And she asks me a lot more questions now. And even my son, as he's gotten older, they've asked me questions more after the fact than they really did during. Um, they ask me a lot if I'm going to die and just, you know, hard questions like that that, you, right. that, are, that are tough. And at the time, my son just asked why my head looked like those shiny people. <laughs> talking about. And he's like, why does your head look like the shiny people? And I was like, what, what shiny people? And he's like, you know. The ones that have the shiny heads, I'm like, are you talking about bald people? And he's like, yeah. And like, I am bald. <laughs> like, I have no hair. Right. And uh, so he he really noticed that. And then um, I had some wigs and stuff like that that I'd wear to work because I, I worked at a middle school at the time. So I didn't, I, I wore some of those there. And, um, you know, it. he didn't ask a ton of questions, but I found a bunch of uh, books for kids that, um, you know, that, some were written by kids and some were um, recommended to me, you know, to read to him and stuff. And I kind of explained it to him at five, like it was basically a, a battle going on inside my body, the good guys versus the bad guys. And, you know, we kind of, we kind of talked about it that way. And that made a little bit of sense to him, but um, you know, on a, on a 
he didn't really understand a whole lot of what was going on other than I didn't play very much. How many? I felt terrible. No, and again, this is a lot of parents of young children don't know what to say or what to do. And there really are some great books out there that they're, you have to be vigilant and, and find them. Dr. Google can be your worst enemy sometimes, but you said you're a, yeah. a WebMD stalker. So I, I tend to avoid WebMD because <laughs> my headache is cancer every time. So I just avoid those I websites. I know. I know. Mine too. I, it's it's not, not as bad now because I kind of have to, I have to rein that in a little bit. I walk that line a lot of being overly, uh, worried about everything going on or trying to ignore things that are going on. I, I really walk a fine line sometimes of which way I want to swing. But Do you remember your treatments? I mean, you said you lost your hair. Did you lose weight? Did you gain? Some people even gain weight on chemotherapy. Um, you know, I, I think I lost a little bit, um, mostly because I wasn't eating. So it wasn't, being, it wasn't like a great weight loss uh, plan or system by any means. Um, I just, didn't have a very good taste for food. I just, everything tasted like, you know, chewing gum that you've had in your mouth for an hour or whatever. It was just, I ate because I knew I had to. Um, but I, I also wasn't a very good cook at that time. I'm not a really great cook anyway, but I was not at all, you know, at that time. And so people would bring uh, meals and stuff for my family, which was kind of nice um, as well. But I, I pretty, I lost a little bit, but pretty much maintained that. Um, afterwards was probably a little bit harder, um, because my energy level just really fluctuated and I just kind of would exercise when I had the ability to, I actually exercised during chemo, um, a little bit with the permission of my doctor, of course. Well, and honestly, the control, no, and there's, there's now tons of actual evidence-based science that if you are able to exercise during treatments, it substantially helps your body process out the toxins. And I mean, I I had, uh, there was no chemotherapy when I was diagnosed 20 years ago, but I had radiation. And at the time they basically baked one in the oven. So you literally couldn't get out of bed for six straight weeks. Otherwise I probably would have walked at least gotten up and be vertical for a couple of hours a day. But today with the progress, it sounds like, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost weird to say it. Like you kind of got off pretty good considering all oh, the things yeah. to be able to work on that and that's amazing. So let's let's pivot then because now you're really into health and nutrition and fitness. But you were kind of that way beforehand, but this was like this massive kick that your no, life is I would say I was kind of like that before. Um I when I was in treatment and finishing the last of my chemo, my cancer center had a partnership with a local gym. And you could, it was designed for people after treatment, but I got permission because I was relatively, you know, tolerating everything, I guess you could say, and was feeling good. And I was pretty good about listening to my, my body at that point in time. And so I went to the fitness program that they had and, and that really kind of kickstarted everything that I was doing. I just really, um, it was a way I could control things that I couldn't control in my life. I could control something when I was in there. And that's where it kind of started. And then, you know, at 32, I think, years old, I decided to do a 180 career change and become a fitness, you know, professional, which I I don't know. That's not a field that very many people go into that late in the game, it seems like. But I just really wanted to help people discover all the things about themselves. And 
because there's so many people that don't realize when you're put in a situation like that, they're like, oh, you're so, that's so strong of you. And, and really it's not, when we have no other option, that's, you know, that's just what happens. And all I've done is discovered that I'm capable of a lot more than I think I am. And so then now I just push myself a little bit more. And so if I can get people to realize that within themselves, then they'll push themselves just a little bit more each time. And it just builds this inner confidence and, I just feel like fitness is a nice way to start that process, but a lot of fitness, I mean, my, my psychology and, you know, motivational interviewing, you know, background that I had to have for family service is huge in fitness because so much of it is in, um, you know, within our mental health and state that we've got going on as well. So before we get to more about Survivor Fit Club, uh, since we do have Susan here, about now that you have had breast cancer, do you have sisters or are any of your kids uh, girls, or is this something that you're now aware of going forward, or are you now predisposed to other cancers because you went through this? Do you have any sense of that and uh, in the world of genetics affecting that? All, all I know is that I, I don't have the genetic, um, you know, risk factors or I don't have any of the genetic reasons to have cancer. None of those, you know, all negative for all those. And so I was told that my family doesn't need to do that. I imagine I do have a daughter who's eight. I imagine she will have to start getting mammograms at a way earlier age than 40. Um, So I imagine she'll have to be a little bit more vigilant than I probably was at that age. But um, yeah, my, my sisters and mom have not been tested for anything like that, but um, it's so it's, funny, it's Holly. An because, interesting one. Yeah, your your story mirrors mine so closely because I. Oh yeah. It didn't run in my family. I was 35 when I was diagnosed. I had a three year old son at home. Uh, they didn't have all the great testing back when I was diagnosed that they have now to determine whether it was you know ER PR negative or positive, et cetera, et cetera. But I have since yeah. learned that mine was triple negative. I've had it twice, and I have been through so many panels, genetic panels. Okay, it's time for you to try another one. Last time it was just BRCA. Now we've got this 17-panel test that you can try. Yeah. And every time I go in, they do the test, and there's nothing. And so I'm just like, okay, it's either my rockin' lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's that Twinkie I ate in college. I don't know. Or yeah. or there's just something else going on that we haven't we haven't uncovered yet. And so I made the choice of going through whole genome uh screening whole to see like I want to test once and review often as opposed to going back to the doctor every few years when they have more genes that are associated with a particular cancer. I just decided I'm going to do the one and then I'm going to have, you know, every time a new marker comes up, I'm going to compare that to my own genome. Yeah. So that's the approach I took. That's not, that's not covered by insurance. It's a, it's a huge out-of-pocket expense that you have to pay to get that test done. And a lot of doctors are reluctant to um, prescribe the test in the first place because, you know, there's so much about the genome that we don't know yet. Yeah. It's like, you know, Matthew was talking about Australia Everybody lives on the coast, right? There's right. not a whole lot <laughs> yeah. going on in the middle. Uh, but but I do think that as we uncover more about our own genetic blueprint and as the cost of sequencing goes down, there's going to be a tipping yeah. point. 
Oh, that's going to be that's going to be amazing and and probably really helpful. And I hope we can see that in my lifetime, at least um, I, for my kids sake as well. I, what I like about you and your story beyond the obvious is that you, you seem to have this this uh, congenital instinct for proactivity and uh, you want to learn. You want to know. And uh, I, I want to make you're on Instagram at Family Fitness Gal. Is that your primary uh, uh, existence, or are you also? You, well, I know we found each other on Twitter as well. Uh, I, yeah, I am on Twitter, and uh, Facebook is probably where I, I hang out the most. That's only because I know it better. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, been around a little longer, I guess. So you you now, I mean, this is so wonderfully emblematic of of the young adult cancer story, where we we got it, we got through it, and now we're giving back, and. Survivor Fit Club is your baby. It's everything that is because you are. And can you tell us what the response has been from your community, from the people you're now helping? Well, it's, I mean, it's very much in the infancy and building stage at the moment. And it was kind of a, a an idea that I had when I started thinking about what would have made my own life easier um, during treatment. And honestly, there wasn't a lot other than, you know, if you could figure out a way to make me not lose my hair, that would have been great. But, you know, other than that, like my treatment was great. Like I had great doctors. I had a massive family support. So it really wasn't that. It was the after piece when I had to process everything that happened. And I'm so calm and cool during something. And afterwards is when I usually tend to have my little, oh, my gosh, what just happened? Um, and so I didn't, I felt like everybody kind of went, all right, good job. You you beat it. You rang, I rang a bell at the cancer center and – and kind of walked out and went, uh, now what am I supposed to do? You know, right. like my life was so consumed with mm-hmm. this for so long. And I didn't know, I didn't know how to be anymore. And that's really when the, you know, total 180 career change came around. That's when I just, uh, you know, everybody was like, okay, good job. Peace out. See you later. And I was just kind of stuck with a lot of emotions that I didn't really know how to deal with. And I didn't really feel, at least in this instance or five years ago when I went through this, that there was a lot of support um, that I knew about. And, you know, since then there's probably been some more, more things pop up, but I didn't have any of that support to manage and deal with those emotions. So I was just really like almost depressed. I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually call it depressed, but just really down and everybody couldn't understand why I was so, you just beat cancer. Shouldn't you be happy? And I'm like, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I am. I'm really, I am happy, but I'm not like, I'm not normal anymore. And now I'm just, just I, I don't know. And so I really had to kind of come up with, um, and, and that's where this kind of came from. The the love of fitness is just kind of the door opener. And, and yes, you need to have a healthy, um, you know, lifestyle, especially after you've gone through something like that with, you know, continuing to, or reintroducing exercise even, because a lot of people can't. Um, do a ton and they're frustrated with the amount that they can do, especially if they were real, you know, busy fitness wise before they're frustrated that they can't go back and run marathons or anything. And I just wanted to, to bring that piece of course, to people in the after, but also bring that sense of community where, you know, you're not alone and, you know, it's okay if you're feeling this way and kind of help people work through some of those emotions of afterwards and kind of becoming grateful. I'm all about gratitude. And I say all the time that I'm, I'm grateful that I had cancer and I know it sounds stupid and <laughs> whatever, but I, I, it is, it's, it's just 
there's been so many things that have happened because of that. And if you take that one piece of my life away, I wouldn't have the the knowledge now. I wouldn't have the, you know, a lot of experiences that I've had would never have happened. So I could never, I, I don't want to go back and do it again. But, right, you know, exactly. Um, it's like the um, gift it, you wouldn't really give to somebody else, but it was still, no. yeah. You couldn't see this, but Susan and I were nodding on the radio when you were talking about everyone <laughs> saying, get on with your life, you're fine. And you're really, you know, how do you quantify? I'm not really fine, I'm alive, but what am I doing? Oh, no. and, now I'm just sitting here waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is, yeah. it is. Were you made aware of any other young men or women in not 80 going through cancer that you could oh. have possibly related to? Um, not, not really. Now, granted, this is, um, you know, five, five years ago. Since then, um, there has been a young women's group created, um, sort of in a roundabout way because I kept bothering people, but, um, there was a support group. And so I went to that, but I'm sitting next to a gal that's 80. I'm sitting next to the youngest, um, lady next to me had high schoolers. So they really didn't know young kids and, cancer i mean well, let me guess you know, the, two-year-olds the the support the support group was at 10 o'clock on thursdays right yes yes it's <laughs> a horrible time when yeah. you, you can't be there because you work hello yeah kids yeah all that, yeah and i yes that's exactly true and uh luckily since then you know things have kind of popped up and changed a bit um but i still feel like there are a large uh a large group of underrepresented people out there. So it's it's really exciting that you're getting some traction with what you're doing. And, you know, again, I mentioned you were very proactive. You forced the hand to start the young women's group. And, you know, you started the Facebook group. And then were things starting to take off then? Yeah. So after I created this Facebook group, it was myself and maybe a couple of other people that I knew that were still a little bit older than I was. And it it has 80-something people were the Survivor Sisters. Most of them are just local to this area. And because of that group, there was a spinoff with the Cancer Center, and there's actually a nonprofit for um, young women now called the Warrior Sisters. So they've they've kind of spun off because of that, um, that little uh, – us just kind of not going away. <laughs> no, I, I just needed a way to connect all these people because I knew that I was not the only one – here in this little old town of people that had was a young person with cancer. I knew it, but I just didn't have any way of finding those people back then. And now, um, you know, things have changed quite a bit, even, you know, in the Facebook world, especially even too, but, um, it was just a great platform to start off and, and grow those, those people around. And now I kind of want to do the same thing, but I want to expand that outside of just where I live because that's becoming, I, I know there's more, I know there's more people that, especially young moms, um, people that need to know that somebody's gone through that. And that's, that's really why, why all this became created. Well, again, you are, you're a consummate go-getter and a rainmaker and we, we're on the show. We're giving you the bump. We want you to be successful. We want Eastern Washington State to know <laughs> that Stupid Cancer's got your back, and we hope you and your community can maybe come out to Denver to CancerCon and meet meet the rest of the world that we're going to be um, sort of uh, cavorting out there. It's going to be an epic experience, and 
we can only wish you the best of luck uh, with what you're doing, and we'll promote whatever you want whenever you want it. So, um, again, oh, I, love that. I appreciate that. So I can't I help. Can't. Yeah, we're we're here for you. Uh, you mentioned December twenty second as a magic day in your life. That's next week. What what are you celebrating? <laughs> uh, Six years, know, seven years. Yeah, this will be six years since I found out. Is that right? 2009? 15? I don't know what year it is. <laughs> That's the best part when yeah. you forget. Yeah, you forget. It's oh. the best part. Good for you. That date, I, honestly, I, that date seems to come and go. Um, but I, I, this year, I truly celebrate. This is the first um, Christmas since that year that uh, there was a lot of other life that happened in between there that was a little challenging. So this is the first Christmas that I am. I, I've been grateful every Christmas, honestly, but... This is going to be a good one because I have health. I have, um, you know, family, the, the ones that, are, that remain here. Um, and there's just, I'm, I'm just really grateful. There's just way too many um, things that I have in my life. I'm just beyond blessed. And I, I actually say that kind of stuff and write it down every single day. Well, so you're, I, you're... I don't celebrate that day as much as my cancerversary is August 17th. And, uh, that's the day I finished treatment. That's the day I seem to celebrate more. And that happens to be my daughter's birthday as well. So my last uh, treatment was her third birthday. Well, your your positivity is contagious, and I can't thank you enough for coming on The Stupid Cancer Show. You can uh, follow Holly Boyce on Instagram and I believe Twitter on fa- at Family Fitness Gal. And uh, look for Survivor Fit Club on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us, and God bless. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Holly Boyce, everyone. Thanks. Two really great stories here on the show tonight. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, again. I think Holly's my long lost sister, I swear. Stage two, triple negative, but she was misdiagnosed. Misdiagnosed with triple negative? That's crazy. That's really crazy. That's scary because that's really (laughs) bad. So, anyway, kudos to her for having the. Uh, the we would say in in Yiddish the the um, the sechel, which is like the wherewithal the the, the gumption. gumption yeah, yeah the gumption exactly for that so good for her um, thank you for joining us this Susan has McClure been a blast. yeah this well we're gonna have fun. you back for a legit segment here because it's a genetics it's it's what's for dinner you know it's, it's <laughs> what we're made of you know it's There's the next a lot big going thing on are you a cannibal <laughs> <laughs> maybe if you're nice to me Kenny Kane. Is it now time for our closing sequence? I think it is on that note. All right. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 370th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guests, Megan Murray, Holly Boyce, and the one and only Susan McClure, live here in studio with us. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of my team here, 
at the Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Poke the stick at Stupid Cancer. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.